Show number 63 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. And now, and now, a very special extra feature mm-hmm. for Look at His Butt. Yay! Yay! We have an interview, which we haven't done for a while because we haven't been to a con for a while. But this is a con-style, non-con interview. Okay. Non-con, so it's non-consensual. <laughs> These people did not consent to be interviewed. We bullied them into it. We bullied them into it. The totally. people who are going to be interviewed, we're interviewing two people together all over Skype, and we're all in three different parts of the country, mm-hmm. so this is really technology at work. We're going to be talking to Killa mm-hmm. and T. Jonesy, and they are Trek fanfic writers and Trek vidders. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are Extremely talented, extremely wonderful people, and we're just thrilled to present them to you. Because they're, not only do they write great fan fiction and make great videos, but they're really fun people, too. And very interesting. Yeah. So, let's let's just let the interview speak for itself. Let's go to the videotape. <laughs> for us. It's very, very special. In the long line of interviews that we have brought to you on this show, we now have two very special interviews which are combined into one massively special interview. Okay. <laughs> don't you think? Uh, yeah, think I'm, I'm nodding. So why don't you introduce our special guest? Okay. We are talking to two of our favorite people in fandom, and they are Killa and T. Jonesy. Uh, they are fanfic writers, but many of you may also know them as uh, video artists. Um, they are getting quite well known in that field. And we have them on Skype, and we're recording. And so, welcome. Thanks. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's working. So, there are two questions you must answer in order for this interview to continue. These are the two questions we ask everyone. And, it, well... It's one question that's two parts, yeah. I guess. Okay. So the the question is, how did you first get involved in Star Trek or what first introduced you to it? And then the second part is, what drew you to fandom? So one of you start on that and identify you yourself to, so our sh- users Should we know go by, voice. like, age or beauty or, like, alphabetical order or something? <laughs> um, kill, kill it, just go first. Okay, kill it, just <laughs> so, go so first. So beauty then. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, Okay, so how did I get into Trek? That was the question? Yes. Okay. Um, Well, I pretty much came into it backwards. Um, I was kind of a clueless kid, you know, much like I am as an adult. And I was sort of like off in my little world of books. So um, when I was about 11 years old, I volunteered at my local public library. And, of course, I had to read all the books in the entire science fiction section. Um, Among them were the Star Trek logs by Alan Dean Foster Mm -hmm. and the Star Trek series by James Blish. Mm -hmm. And when I read them, I didn't actually realize that what they were was fictionalized versions of TV episodes. That's amazing. Wow. Um, I was sort of like oblivious to television and uh, my parents pretty much didn't really encourage me to watch television at all. Um, So also at the public library, I happened to be there one night when they showed um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. But I missed the opening credits, and I sort of more or less fell asleep in the first 15 minutes. As most people did, I think. (laughs) So I still didn't realize that I had actually seen Star Trek. Well, I think the first 15 minutes was just a ship, (laughs) right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was like a car commercial. (laughs) So it wasn't really until years later when I finally saw the movie that I realized I'd actually seen it before. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what actually got me into Star Trek was the um, very first Star Trek novel I ever read, which was The Entropy Effect by Vonda Uh McIntyre. And I still love that book. And um, time travel is still pretty much my favorite plot device. And I I think I sort of blame her for that. Um, But it also got me hooked on 
uh, reading popular physics books for and stuff for a while there when I was in high school and wow. um, so anyway, a, a lot of books later, I heard a radio contest on my local AM radio station, and they were giving away tickets to the premiere of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I had no idea what, you know, I didn't really know what it was, but I heard Star Trek, and by that time I'd figured out that Star Trek was something I liked. So um, they would ask us Star Trek trivia. I told you I was totally clueless. So um, they would ask a Star Trek trivia question, and you would call in, and if you answered it correctly, they'd give you the tickets. So the question that I answered was, what was Mr. Scott's first name? And they told me I won the tickets, and then they asked me how long I'd been watching the TV show, and I was pretty much like, oh, it's a TV show. <laughs> yeah, uh, Wait, to, to even prove how even more oblivious I was, I found out later that my best friend in the world, her dad, actually played Norman the Android on the show, which... <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it took. It, I pretty much had to be hit over the rep head repeatedly until I figured it out. Wow! So then, what happened when you finally started watching the episodes? I mean, did you like just go crazy and watch them all over and over and over again, or was it like a gradual thing? Well, they didn't really air in my town when I was growing up. They they had like once a week on, on Saturday they would air an episode, oh, come and like it wasn't now. always on. Well, yeah, and like sometimes it would say Star Trek was coming on, but then they would actually show creature feature oh, or something. Like now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did actually get to see a couple of episodes before I saw the Wrath of the Con, but you know I I was still sort of like, wow, what is this all about? And then I went to see the movie, and that was pretty much it. Now, somebody told me, we haven't even let you get to part two of the question, but I want to ask you about this. <laughs> somebody told me once that um, when you saw the first Star Trek movie, you didn't know what it was, and you thought it was about two gay guys who'd had a big fight. <laughs> Is this true? I don't think that's me. That must be that must be T. Jones. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it definitely was not me. Oh, I wonder who it was, or maybe it's just apocryphal. Maybe, maybe, it it's, maybe it's your urban legend. <laughs> I like it. That's a good urban legend. I didn't yeah, know I had one, but that's good. Um, so what drew you into fandom then? Um, and by fandom, we fandom. mean like fanfic okay. and all the other stuff. And well, that was a lot and later. And, and it was pretty much T. Jonesy. Um, but uh. it was a lot later. A lot later. Um, I sort of, you know, it was really the internet, I guess. Um, I sort of knew that fandom existed from reading books like The Making of Star Trek and The Making of Trouble with Tribbles and stuff like that. Um, and I bought every book on Star Trek that there was, so I had sort of gotten this idea that fandom existed. But I pretty much thought, like, oh, that was years ago, and, you know, I could never have anything to do with those people. They, they are all, you know, all know each other, and it, it's over already and that kind of thing. So, you know, pretty much I just kept buying the books and would never talk about them with anyone, like, you know, this was my secret thing that I would do. And um, I guess, like, through much of, of uh, high school and college and so forth, I would just forget about Star Trek for years at a time. And every so often I would buy a book and be like, oh, yeah, that was that thing I loved so much. You know, but I would sort of forget about it. And then when, you know, I think uh, when I, I actually first started writing before I had heard of of people online talking about Star Trek. Um, I had started writing sort of all by myself without any knowledge of what was out there. And then about the same time, like maybe a couple of months after I started writing my first fanfic story, I got clued into the idea of a browser and a news group and what that was all about. And the first thing I looked up was Star Trek, and that was sort of the end of it. What was the first thing you wrote? Um, it was... Uh, I think it was No Brighter Moment was the first thing I started, although, although I didn't actually finish it until later. And then when I first discovered the Internet, and I kept trying to ask people on the news groups, um, like, well, what about Kirk and Spock? You know, don't you do, does anybody write about them? You know? <laughs> so this no, is like, never, I, never. <laughs> it's, well, it was about 1994 or 95, like the beginning of 95, thereabouts. And the, everybody was talking about Picard and Data and Garrick and Bashir and Picard and Q. And that was everything on the news groups was pretty much those two pairings. And I was kind of like, um, you know, what's up? Is anybody still, you know, talk about Kirk and Spock? And so finally I thought, well, maybe if I write something and post it, then people will talk to me because people just never answered me. So I did. That's so you are responsible for the huge surge in <laughs> KS of the, the late 90s and, and right on up until modern times. I wouldn't go that far. I would. I would. <laughs> Three to one, we win. Okay, T. Jonesy, your turn with part one of the question. 
Um, it's actually sort of weird. I um, I was about 14 years old, and I had this erotic dream about Spock. And the weird thing was, I didn't watch Star Trek. So... You didn't know who you were dreaming about? Well, I mean, I had seen it, and I knew that it was the guy with the funky ears. But that was about it. And then I started watching the show because I was really curious, like, who was this guy who sort of got into my dream somehow? Ooh, that's creepy. That's not weird. <laughs> we just sound like the two most clueless people that have ever lived. He was doing but, that, that telepathy at a distance thing. Yeah. But, but it's, it's actually funny because I'm just, um, I'm not by nature like a real sci-fi fan. So I just, I wasn't clued into it at all. And when I was a kid, I remember just thinking he was kind of scary looking. Hmm. And then I had this bizarre dream. So anyway, I'm 14 years old, and that's also sort of how I got into fandom, because then I started watching the show, really liking his character, liking the interplay between all the characters, and then um, I started reading all the books, too. And then you find out that there's these things called zines, and I was rabid, and uh, started tracking them down, and at 14, got these poor zine editors, when they hear this, I was sending them letters saying that I was 21. <laughs> <laughs> And getting all the uh, all the slash scenes and I mean all the adult head scenes, everything that was out there at that point, I basically had, and uh, and that we, and then I fell out of it just like kill, you know I was in and out of it constantly, and then um, right about the time that she got back on the internet, thank God that she was there because there wasn't any chaos on the net at that mm-hmm. point I remember, and then she posted her story and it was like oh my God it was amazing, so I was I th- was I the first person who ever contacted you. Pretty much. I mean, you were one of the first people, and you were the first person I talked to on the telephone. So yeah, I, was I kind like of the like, telephone. Well, you were one of those scary people that I'd heard about, you know, who calls you <laughs> after you meet them online, and then they stalk you, right? And they were right. I was one of those scary people. <laughs> they were so right. They were so right. <laughs> so um, usually in the past when we've done these interviews, it's been at cons. Yes. Specifically at Friscon or whatever they're calling it now. Bascon. Um, what, for both of you, what has your experience been with cons? Like, what was your first con like? I, I mean, specifically like a con where you met, went to talk to other writers, not just a general Star Trek con. Killa, you want to go? <laughs> well, um, I feel like there should be some sort of disclaimer, like I've never used a headset before, and if I sound like a dork, you know, it's out of the ordinary, but I don't we'll know. We'll blame if it all on technology. That. Oh, you sound yeah, exactly. darling. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first con I ever went to was totally because of T. Jonesy. Um, we had, I, now, tell me if this is right. Was, was Shore Leave, like, 96 the first time we ever met in person? Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I picked you right. up at the airport, like, outside of Baltimore or something, or Philly. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, she she had you had gone before, right? To shore um, leave, or you just I, knew I about think, it? No, I think I just knew about it. Or no, we oh no, I did go once before. I did go once before. It was awful. <laughs> oh, that's right. With uh, with your husband, right? I went with yeah, I did. I went with him the first time, and uh, wow, was that a mistake? And um, <laughs> what was so awful about it? Why was it awful? Well. Well, it's because I was like all fanish and geekish and I had just gotten back into it and I had, you know, all these zines that I had thrown out, I found out were now like $25 a piece. Yeah. So it's like you're spending thousands of dollars replacing everything that you tossed out, you know, <laughs> at the end of high school. And um, I think I was at the con and Bev Volker, who was still alive at that point, was there. And she was like one of the grand dames of like early fandom and chaos and everything and I'm standing there looking at her thinking, oh, my God, that's Bev Volker. And I turned to my husband and said, that woman is like the beginning of fandom, and I'm explaining this whole thing. And he says very loudly, what did she like? Can you curse on this show? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, yeah. Okay. And he said, what did she like, fuck Kirk or something? <laughs> and, and the woman who was standing directly next to me happened to have been her daughter. Oh, oh nice. my God. Yeah. This is why you don't take husbands to cons. <laughs> you, could, in any case, you could not drag my husband to a con. There's no way. Well, I wanted I to drag, drag him us. out of there. <laughs> and uh, I, I, today he still says he's banned from shore leave, and he is. So. <laughs> by me, if not by anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it was ni- 1996. Um, we had not long known each other that long online, and um, T. Jonesy said, you know, they have this convention and, and a lot of the people that you've been reading in the zines will be there and you should come. And, 
you know, I thought it was totally nuts, but we went. And um, it was, it's really strange because, I, you know, I, I have only hazy memories of those early years, and I don't remember any of the programming. Like, I just remember meeting authors and being terrified to talk to them, and, you know, it sort of all runs together in a blur. Oh, absolutely. I remember us being totally fan geekish and going, oh, my God, that's Carolyn Spencer. Oh, my God, you know, that's Kathy Resch and just... That's Shelley Butler. That's Shelley Butler. Like, we were falling at their feet, you know, like Mike Myers, like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we were so bad. And now people do that to you. Yeah. Well, no, not no. to me. More, more to kill us. <laughs> not to you. Not Never so to you. <laughs> no, I remember the first time I met you guys in person was at Shore Leave. And, uh, Killer, you had brought... In your suitcase, your VCR, <laughs> and and tons and tons of, of tapes. I remember that. Yeah, that sounds about right. But that could be any con. <laughs> <laughs> Only now it would be a DVD player, of course. Yeah, well, yes. you know, I had to actually buy a combination DVD-VCR player that lives in my garage until we take it to a con because we got so sick of, of dragging one out of one of our houses. <laughs> So I have my, my special con. That, that's right. We are equipment. the event programming for our room. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Many people come to see that. So you I know you've I arrived. Think, yes. I think the second year, Killer, that you came to Shore Leave, you came, like, with tools. It's like you were the cable guy. Like, <laughs> well, in order to... You remember that, like, in order to get behind the TV and dismantle whatever they had so that you couldn't do what we were going to do to the TV? That's right. That's right. Been yeah. there, well, done that. that. We've, we've they had the oh, little yeah. TV condoms so yes move that yes. yes very important so um so you guys were basically drawn together through reading each other's stories and commenting on them yeah definitely well pretty much immediately as soon as we started emailing she said can i call you you know so it was it was pretty quick that we we graduated to the advanced you know, methods of communication like the telephone. <laughs> you know there are still very very few people in fandom i've i've spoken to on the phone I mean, I've spoken to you guys and Claudia and Wildcat mm -hmm. I, and, and wow. Lena, of course, but she lives near me. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I Some just, um, just uh, I, 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 I'd prefer talking on the phone. So, I mean, I, I mean, initially I might meet somebody over the Internet, and but eventually it's like if I enjoy chatting with them online, I'll be like, can I just call you? Because I just get tired of typing. It's <laughs> <laughs> exhausting. It is. So where did the crossover start from from written stories to video stuff? Has that always been something of an interest, or was it Trek that kind of sparked that? Well, I mean, uh, me, me personally, I mean, I went to college, ironically, for this stuff, for TV and all that stuff. And um, when I was in college, you know, I always preferred shooting on film, but I always knew that eventually video editing was going to be the way to go. So I was always interested in it, but I, I didn't want to start vidding until uh, – until basically real nonlinear video editing could be done by a person at home, you know, for under a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So, I, for me personally, I was just waiting for technology to get there. I think for me, vidding is really more about the music. Like I, I always used to sing and play musical instruments and so forth, and I don't really do any of that now. So vidding is a way to sort of interact with music and, you know, edit it and, and sort of respond to it visually. Um, but I remember when we, as a team, started really thinking about vidding, I think I had only seen a handful of vids at that point. Like, I was just sort of starting to become aware of vids as a, as a fanish art form. But I went up to T. Jonesy's house, and I think it was somewhere around 1997 or maybe 98. But I, I think it was like 97. And she played this song for me. Um, and it was Fleetwood Mac's Bleed to Love Her. And she said, wouldn't this make an incredible video? And that was sort of the, there's, for every vidder, I think there's a song that sort of makes you learn how to vid because you know that nobody else is going to make the vid for you. Oh, yeah. And that was, that was the song. It was the song that she played for me, and that was sort of the one that, that got us going. And was it always Kirk and Spock right from the very beginning? For the me, vid? it was. I mean, yeah. For, for me, it was basically because um, I'm like one of these monogamous fanish people that it's like I can only be in one fandom at a time. So uh, I was totally consumed by chaos at that point. So, yeah. I remember you once described yourself to me, um, I think it was at Shirley, saying you were a reluctant chaoser. You know, and I, and I was and I still am because Slash is not, it's, um, it's not like, ironically, it's not a big kink for me. And um, 
I mean, I can I can definitely see KS. You know, I can definitely see it. And I think the subtext is definitely there, whether it was intentional or unintentional in the TV show and the movies. Um, but in in other fandoms that I've gotten into since, it's it's all been het fandoms for me. But KS is the only thing that's actually pinged for me as far as Slash goes. Wow. That's really tough. I think if you are interested in one of those two characters, and it sort of doesn't matter which one it is, you know, you get attached to that character and there's really no one else. There's no one else who's important to them in their life. So it's Absolutely. Sort of, what I it's found like the only option. kind of remarkable in, um, in so much chaos was, uh, first of all, it was shocking to me that so much of the focus was on Spock. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, that's my kink. But also that there seemed to be a number of people reading and writing and enjoying chaos who really only liked one of the characters. And in this yeah. case, it, it was usually Spock. And I thought, that's really strange because... You know, as I was drawn more into, into writing and everything, I I would have found it really difficult to write a romance where I wasn't interested in what, one half of the people involved in it. Yeah. Which is why you don't write chaos. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I have to say, because um, I would read, you know, het, hetero or het fanfic in Trek if it was out there, and it just isn't, but I do love Brand. Oh, thank you, know? you. And I just, I, yeah, I love her. And, and I can totally see Kirk with her, and it's not Mary Sue to me, and it makes me crazy when people define, you know, an original female character is Mary Sue. It's like, no, there are great original female characters out there, Brant being a prime example, but a lot of it is Mary Sue, and I think if I yeah. was going to put Spock or Kirk with another woman and create an original character, it would be laughable, and it would be Mary Sue-ish. So... For me, it was just easier to put them together. Plus, I could see the attraction that they would have for each other. Now, Killa, yeah. do you know, remember you did that that fabulous artwork for me of uh, Brant and Kirk kissing? Oh, yeah. And um, I don't know if I've ever told <laughs> you this, but I, I, I printed that out as high quality as I could, and I had Shatner autograph it. <laughs> oh, my God, that's great. Oh, and I, I love it because he, he, he wrote it right up her arm. Excellent. It's, oh, oh, it's great. so cool. What did he write? What did he, he write? Just his name. You know, it was one of those oh, situations okay. where there's no personalization or anything like that. But um, I remember when I, you know, it was at a con, of course, and I was at the autograph table. And when I slid it over to him, the person who's like his minder or whatever went, wow, that's beautiful. Where did you get that? You know, like this is something you could buy. No, no, it's one oh, of a great. kind. Yeah. Oh, that's great. JK has I'm, got, I'm really glad to hear that. JK has gotten Shatner to sign a lot of really interesting things. The spanking list <laughs> yes. high on that list. Yeah. Uh, yes. Which, that the... is just such a ballsy thing that you did. I just can't <laughs> believe you did that. But you, I mean, Josie, you are one of the people I believe who had, who's had Nimoy sign, um, Zines with very explicit covers on them, aren't no, you? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 not me. <laughs> oh, I thought not it was me. you. Okay. No. Who was that, Shelly? Was that no, Shelly? No, it was Nick. It was Nick. <gasps> it well, was Nick. That's right. I think Shelly might have been there, too, but it was Nick. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, boy, <laughs> I'm just, I, I have in my head what she had him sign, and it's like, wow, she's got a cast iron set of balls. <laughs> So um, let's talk a little bit about the the uh, the vidding and how one in particular closer went viral, thank, yeah. thanks to YouTube. Now, as I understand it, that was posted without you guys uh, knowing it was going to show up there. Yeah, somebody yeah. just threw it up, huh? It was yeah, actually Killa, second... you were out of the country, weren't you, when that happened? Right. Well, it ha it was actually the second one. Knights of the Round Table got posted first, didn't it? I yeah. love that yeah. one. Oh, my God. And that one went somewhat viral. I mean, that one was getting quite a lot of hits, and then I went out of the country. So, I mean, T. Jonesy's really going to have to answer the question about what was happening at the time because I wasn't around. But essentially, um, while I was out of the country, I only had access to email maybe once or twice a week. And I got a couple of emails from people saying, hey, did you know that, that Closer got put on YouTube? And I wrote them back, and this was after the Knights Around Table thing, which what had happened with that one was, again, I was out of town, and somebody had asked the person, take this down. And because they had asked the person to take it down, then people went hunting all over the Internet trying to find my website oh, to see yeah. if they could get it. And so when, when the same thing happened closer, I said, well, um, thank you for telling me, but don't ask them to take it down because I didn't want all this you know, pressure on my bandwidth happening when I couldn't do anything about it. I didn't actually have access to remove the vids or anything. So basically my, ho my web host, who's a friend of mine, was going to get hammered. 
if I, you know, if, if people started trying to hunt around. So I said, well, don't take it down. And then from that on, I don't know what happened for the next month because I wasn't around. So. Yeah, it, it was wacky. We had no control over anything at all. It's, a, it's an interesting thing about YouTube because it got, both of them got posted without our permission. And then both of them got taken down without our permission. And that's when this mad hunt went on. And, you know, then they start finding other things and, you know, it's just, it's really an invasion of privacy, but... Um. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, of course, you know, I had seen them before because I'm one of the people that when the website used to be passworded, you had given the password to. But yeah. um, when that showed up, I was going, oh, gee, I, I wonder how they feel about this because I know you guys... You know... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just knew you were careful about guarding the access. Yeah, you, well, the truth is that at that at this point when this happened, I was not being careful. I mean, at that point, I had removed the password. So I think really you have to say at that point it's not really an invasion of privacy because I made the choice to make the vids available to the Internet at large. Mm-hmm. And I think any time you make that choice with, with whatever it is, you know, your your blog or your stories or whatever you want to put out there, you have to make the choice somebody's going to get a hold of this and they're going to do with it whatever they want to. I had already made that choice. So it wasn't like a big shock or anything. I mean, no, I would prefer it had not happened. But at the time, my primary concern was I don't want my poor web host getting hammered and, Mm -hmm. you know, having her servers go down because people are, are hitting it so much. So that was really what was foremost in my mind. And I wasn't pleased about the exposure, but it wasn't something that you know, I felt like I'd been betrayed or something like that. <laughs> now, are those vids still up on YouTube? Yeah, they are. Yes. I think they may be um, coming down, though, because Viacom has said to YouTube, all the Star Trek stuff has to go. Oh, really? Right. Which that's is, to me, is a huge part of what's up on YouTube, yeah, mainly because wow. that's what I go look they, for. They just said this the other day. This is like news, actual news. Well, they actually said that back last year, I think in September or October, they said it. And also, the um, company that owns the copyright to Oser, which is Universal, made a statement similar to that in September or October last year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I guess it's it's just, you know, I keep expecting to hear that it's been taken down. But at this point, we have no control over it. um, I think we had been discussing this. The reason why that they, they might be more serious about taking that stuff down is because of the second life venture thing that they're trying mm-hmm. to do yeah but they're they're somehow going to um allow the fans to be involved and used images but it kind of sounds like you're gonna have to pay for them or something yeah so they're trying to control fan access in that way and making it um legal within a certain arena to do that and we've seen how successful controlling fandom yeah. is <laughs> forget it well, i saw forget this it. Wasn't it just this week um, Battlestar Galactica started making clips available to fans and sound files and encouraging them to make basically not not quite music videos like we do because they don't own the rights to the music, but to make fan trailers essentially Mm. where you can take sound and video files and, you know, compose your own promotional trailer. And I think other shows are going to be doing that too. So it's a similar type of idea. Now, I went to YouTube and was reading some of the, the comments on Closer, and it seemed to fall into to two camps. One was, you know, <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And one was, that's so funny. I laughed my ass off. And I'm still yes. puzzled by that one. What's your take oh, yeah. on it? I, I personally think it's hysterical. I love going there and reading the dichotomy of comments. Because you're right. I mean, that's it. It's, it's so completely dissimilar. And um, either people totally get the KS and it's like, wow, this is really smoking hot. Or they think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen in their life. So <laughs> the thing is, or they're in complete denial and they just say, yes. oh, that's disgusting. Well, oh, yeah, there's there, three types of comments. The, yeah, there actually but, are but three. I love but the disgusting ones seem to be in the minority. But the, the, Yes, the vast minority. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to, to wrap my head around what they find amusing about it. I think that they think it was put up as a joke, you know, that nobody could possibly put this out there and be serious about it. I think, wow. so. I think it's, it's the kind of like pointing and laughing like, oh, look, they made it so that Kirk and Spock love each other. <laughs> like, like that. I think that's what it is. I guess so. I think there's it, a certain, there's a camp factor, of course, with Star Trek. And to see that juxtaposed yeah. with Nine Inch Nails is a, it's a sort of inherent irony that people respond to. And it's interesting. I told T. Jonesy about this. Um, I think the first time we ever showed this vid was to a group of KSers, and they took oh, yeah. it completely seriously. Course, there was course. never any any other reaction in the room to, you know, that was pretty much 
how they took it. But I also, um, it was shown, actually, I didn't show it, but it was shown in a sort of a, a bar, actually, at another convention, another slash con in California, uh, where there was a large screen TV in the bar. And it was all fans in the bar, but it was people from other fandoms. <laughs> oh, that's you know. hilarious. That is so funny. Well, the great part was it was it was put up with no warning. You know, nobody said, and this is, you know, this is what you're going to see next. So it, it just started playing, and everyone started laughing in the first couple of minutes. Well, the first, you know, few seconds. But very quickly, the laughter died away, yeah. and people started taking it very seriously. So it was really funny to see that. And I, I remember I was in the back of the room when I heard the music start, and I looked up, and people were laughing, and I thought, oh, they have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I also know that when we first started talking about doing this bid, for me, a big part of it was um, there, there's so much slash out there that, that centers around rape themes hmm. and, and make it into something very, very romantic. Yeah. And one of the things that I really wanted to do when we were doing Closer was I didn't want there to be any romance in it. I wanted to show that this was a rape, that, you know, that there was just, it was ugly, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you you can look at it and it might be hot and whatever, but, I mean, Spock rapes Kirk in this. Yeah. And there's no question about that. And they're not together at the end. And, um, and I remember when we first showed it at Shore Leaf, because so many of these women who were in that room had written these stories that sort of really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What I loved after we showed up the first time, the first time this thing ever aired anywhere, there was dead silence in the room. And at that point, I knew that we had a successful vid, you know? Yeah. Interesting. You know, yeah. one of the most striking things about the, the vid is, um, is the color that it, it, it's sort of a um, sepia. Um, and what, what, uh, how did you come up with that idea or what motivated that? Well, for, for <laughs> me, it was, stay- you know, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm going to let you answer all these questions, but I just want to say, you know, we have to state that this entire vid was completely T. Jonesy's concept and her impetus to do it. I pretty much resisted from the beginning, and in the end, I pretty much, like, I became the truck driver. You know, I did the actual the actual final editing, but really, it's her brainchild. So okay, we need to uh, we need to let her answer all the questions. Okay, oh, thanks for throwing that on my plate. <laughs> Thank you very very much. Um, if you ever see, the, if you've actually ever seen the original Closer video, the real Closer that Nine Inch Nails did, which is still today one of my favorite vids, it's the most disturbing thing I've ever seen, and it is done in this very disturbing. It, it was it's sepia. I mean, I'm trying oh, to remember okay, because it's been a I while since I've seen it, and and the editing style is actually very very similar. It's a lot of jump cuts, um, and and actually in a weird way it really helped us. I mean, Killa, you'll probably agree with this when we when we were starting to. Uh, to put the video together, the jump cuts were actually really helping us because, you know, we didn't have to worry about things not exactly matching, that things not matching in, in the editing. And, and I also just think it just, it helped to tell the story because the whole thing's so raw. Right. Yeah, yeah it is. It's very, very powerful. So, Killa, um, which vid was your brainchild? You know, very few of them, honestly. She's <laughs> she's the brains of the operation, and I pretty much do what she tells me. Seriously. Oh, please. And if anybody's ever met us, you know that that's not true. <laughs> No, no, I'm totally serious. You know, well, in every great partnership, you have an idea person and you have an execution person, and I'm definitely not the idea person. So. Um, please give me a break. You know, one of my favorites is uh, what you did to Razzle Dazzle, uh, and that's one that, as far as I know, has not gone viral or been up on YouTube, but I love that one. The highlight of it for me is the, the scene with Dila where you have him not only putting his boot on, but... Starting to take it back off again. That just blew me away. And and actually, can I just say, because now the killer's always saying that I'm the brains behind it, that was completely her idea. That edit was her all the way, and it kills me every time I see it. That's the best part of the whole vid. Oh, I, I think um, one of the reasons your vids are so good in that vast world of vids is that you guys have done an amazing job of syncing the action to the music, making sure that the cues are exactly right and the cuts are exactly right. You know, we've seen other videos that are, they're okay, but they're not done with such precision. Like not, they're not mm-hmm. really edited and yours are edited so well. It's just incredible. I think, um, I think a lot of fans get really lazy because honestly, especially with Razzle Dazzle, and I know that, you know, Killa can attest to this. It's, um, there were gaping holes in that vid at point where we could not find footage 
to fit in places. And I think people just give up and throw anything in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just literally sifting through hours and hours and hours of footage until you find that one piece. And it's like, wow, this really works. Well, that's one of the things that impresses me, too, about vidding in general is many of the ones I've seen, it's obvious that people have, first of all, an incredible collection of DVDs, but also that they have this this in-depth knowledge of, of, you know, of the different shots, I'm assuming, in uh, in the various episodes. And I know I've watched some of them gone, oh, what is that from, yeah. you know? It helps oh, a lot and, to and have you. a visual memory. Mm-hmm. Um both both T. Jonesy and I have, a, you know, she, as she was saying, she has training at film school and I actually went to art school. So we both tend to think very visually and I think that helps. But um, but mostly it's just, you know, being completely insane and dorky <laughs> and sitting for hours in front of your computer scanning through things and going. It helps also to have sort of a sense of the music so you're actually hearing it in your head as you're scanning through, you know, hours and hours of footage trying to imagine if it's going to match up. Well, one and, of the things you, really a sad, empathetic pastime is, is what I'm trying to say. See, we, we can't relate to that at Not all at because all, all of our pastimes are so meaningful. Actually, I you, want know, you, you to know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, you just brought up something that's actually very interesting. And I think just thinking back to some of the vids that have been done prior um, to some of the stuff that we had done, you know, people will look at a scene and, and they'll say, oh, the context of this scene was... And it's it's basically in the dialogue. But if you're just looking at the scene, you wouldn't pick that up. I mean, yeah. that's one of the ways that, you know, especially in Closer, it's like if you turn off the sound and you're just looking at something, you can, you know, that's why I was saying to Killer when we were doing Closer, you know, I think we can actually do an actual rape here. Because if you look at Kirk from The Enemy Within, you know, after he's actually raped or attempted to rape Janice and he's walking through the corridors, he looks like he's been physically hurt. Mm-hmm. And you can completely turn this thing on its ear, and it's like you know, it's almost like that amazing viral video that went around where somebody recut um, The Shining. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you Those know, are brilliant. But it, yeah, it, but it's like if you put music to something and you do a different narration and you cut things where you want to cut them, mm-hmm. nothing has to be um, connected yep. to the context. That's right. Yeah, at all. Yeah. So I think. Um, People would love to know, how do you do it? So what happens? You come up with a song idea first? Is that usually the beginning? Yeah, generally. The song, the the longer I vid, and I started vidding around 2000, the longer I vid, um, the more I think the song really makes it. If you have a great song that matches your fandom, whatever it is, you, you're sort of like 90% of the way there, and you have to try really hard to screw it up from that point. Razzle Dazzle was actually a song that another fan suggested to us, um, to, to T. Jonesy, and um, it, you know, it was such a perfect Kirk song that mm-hmm. it, you just listen to it and you say, of course that's Kirk. How could it not be? <laughs> and that's, that's the key. When you have a song like that where it speaks to you, and, and in the case of Closer, I mean, it's almost you turn that on its ear you say it's so opposite to what you would think that you have to completely twist the images but underneath it is essentially the story of Ponfar you know Absolutely. if you just listen to the lyrics it is Ponfar that's what that's what the lyrics are about is a craving that is uncontrollable and horrible you know so it it's sort of like you have to let the song guide you i think well one of the things i notice in your videos especially is that um the action and the music, as Lena was saying, are synced so perfectly, but they also comment on yeah. each other. And I've seen a lot of people, you know, use the song as like a background for action, but there isn't like a two-way relationship there. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that very enjoyable. And one of the things that, you know, sort of raises your vids up um, a little higher in my estimation than some of the others I've seen. Thank you. you know, but I, I think that's also just um, probably just in KS fandom because I think a lot of the right. KSers, um, you know, thing. yeah, because boy, in some of the other fandoms, I mean, it makes our stuff look like you know, like stone knives and bearskins. You know, <laughs> it, yeah, it, I mean, it really does. Oh, I don't believe vidding Star Trek. No, is I'm a telling challenge. you, it's difficult to vid an older fandom because, for the simple fact that one of the key things that you get in you know, sort of state of the art. Um, well music videos and actually um, more closely related to what we do with music vids is what you see when you go to the movies and you see a movie trailer Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's really sort of the same idea of what we're doing and you think about the movie trailers that you see today you know for movies that excite us that we want to see and how much motion is going on in those trailers how much camera motion how much physical motion and action and of course with Star Trek 
99% of the shots are the camera is absolutely still and the characters are standing there, shoulders and head, and that's all you see, and mm-hmm. they're talking. So oh, it's, it's, and it's vid death, man. That's, it's just it's so <laughs> difficult. It really is. It's unbelievable. Just searching for those, those scenes with motion, especially in Trek. So getting off of vidding for a minute, have, have either of you or both of you seen the, uh, the new remastered ones with the new CGI effects? Not no. at all. Oh, I don't even know about them. Oh, I've um, heard about them and I want to see them, but I have not yet. Yeah, um, we were very afraid of these when we first heard about them, and then we were at Creation Con in Sacramento, and the Akutas were there, who are in charge of this, and they showed some of it, and it, you know, it just blew us away, and we we became very excited to see them. And what they've mostly done is, um, first of all, cleaned it up incredibly. And, there uh, is so much Kirk light. It's unbelievable. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. But, um, well, for that reason alone, I'd love to see, I'd love to have them on DVD. And when they come out, yeah, I'll be buying them because, well, if you, if you buy the DVDs now, even, you know, like for example, piece of the action, there are shots that we've tried to use that are so damaged, mm-hmm. you know, the, the master recording is so damaged that you almost can't use it. Yeah. You almost yeah. can't even really watch it. Well, yeah. right now when they're shown, they're shown on TV and they have those horrible syndication cuts in them. So we're hoping that they actually cleaned up the whole thing and when it comes I, out I on DVD, did, it will all be there. I asked him at the con about that and I think that's what his answer was of Michael mm. Okuda. He said when they do come out on DVD, they'll be the whole episode. Right. Um, what you can do right now if you want to see some of the remastered stuff, if you go to StarTrek.com and you go to mm-hmm. the uh, TOS episode guide, um, for the ones that they have been showing on TV, you can actually see little clips of the added effects or the cleaned up stuff. And sometimes they'll even do a shot-by-shot comparison with the old special effects. Um, they're very short. The clips are only like 10 or 15 seconds long, but you can at least see some of the stuff that they're doing. And um, one, I think they've done a good job so far of maintaining the integrity of the episodes um, they just did a muck time and the only things that they really changed on that were some really cool establishing shots on Vulcan when oh, they wow. when they beam down they show them walking across this stone bridge and the scale it's like dune you know they're they're like these little ants walking across this enormous stone bridge and then there's a kind of pullback shot to show where the arena is and it's like up on top of this humongous cliff like they're right on the edge of a cliff it's really cool yeah really, really it, cool. It, it wasn't just a, a sandy sound stage no it, right, it just, it's right. amazing it, it gives such a, a wonderful context to it so we're very happy with what they've done so far yes oh that's really cool now um when we've interviewed other people it's it, especially people who came into fandom at the same time we did, which was more like I think ninety eight mm-hmm. or so, yep. and and said, you know, well, what was the first thing you encountered? And it's really funny how many times people say, oh, it was Killer Surrender and T Jonesy's Twenty Questions, and yep. those were the the oh my God. of my initial reading of going through whatever little archive there was at the time. Those are the two stories yep. I remember as making me go, I want I want more of this, I want more of the drama, and I want more of the funny stuff. <laughs> and and how influential those stories were. So what what were your influences? Well, I, I really had you. <laughs> I hadn't read any fanfic when I started writing it, so that you know it shows <laughs> big time. But the first um, fan fiction story that I actually read, and it was also coincidentally or not so coincidentally, um, the first slash that I ever read was His Beloved Pet by Ruth Gifford. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. And I, I was barely, I mean, I, I was barely even a viewer of Next Generation at the time. Um, my roommate watched it, and so I sort of knew who they were. But, you know, I, I read it with that sort of like, I want this only about Kirk and Spock. Well, uh-huh. you know, more or less. But, you know, I, so I read it, and I don't know how much it influenced me, but that was definitely a big eye-opener. T. Jonesy? Um, for me, um, you know. She was 14. I, Give her a break. I, I, was, I was 14. <laughs> I was 14 and it was just, you know, it's so weird because, like, you have this, like, horrible interest in this stuff and you don't really understand exactly what you're reading. It's more like, so they insert slot A into slot B kind of stuff. But um, when I when I was an adult and I started reading this stuff again and you start really getting the emotional context, for me, the stuff that was, like, sending me, making me crazy was um, Carolyn Spencer stuff, Kathy Resch, mm-hmm. um all their stories, just amazing. Well, I remember so. you pointing me to a story that you thought was um, really outstanding. I think it was Carolyn Spencer's The Need for Stars. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. That, that is the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest recruiter story that you could give anybody. It's like if you want to convince, especially a non-slasher, because like I said, I am a reluctant slasher, and 
and to me, a great writer will convince me of his premise. And boy, Carolyn Spencer's stuff does that for me. I mean, I read her stuff and I believe it. I mean, I buy it hook, line, and sinker. So, yeah, that story was our standard for a long time, and it still oh, yeah. is to some degree. Yeah. Oh yeah. Are, are you guys still involved in in writing fandom? Are you still reading what's being posted out there or writing? Uh, not so much in Star Trek, although I am still writing it actually, but not reading it, which is weird. But I can't really can't really explain that one. <laughs> but um, I, now I know you, and maybe you've you've even moved from moved on from that. But for a while, you were very involved with Highlander, right? Yeah, and I'm actually I have a story that is probably upward of seventy thousand words at this point. That's actually a crossover between the original Star Trek and Highlander. I remember whether hearing it'll ever about actually this. be done. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been hearing about it for like 10 years, I think. Well, yeah, I started it in, uh, in 2000. Are you, actually, are you still writing it? That's amazing. Yeah. Are you going to finish it? Who knows? <laughs> now, what about you, T. Jones? Are you still writing in any fandoms? You know, it's actually funny. About, I'm going to say like two years ago, I sort of got out of Star Trek because um, I got totally consumed with Deadwood. And there's a level of writing on that show that just, it almost spoils you for anything else. And um, and now that's gone off the air. And then Killa actually pimped Battlestar Galactica to me. Thank you very much. And uh, now I'm, like, totally consumed by Adama and Rosalyn. And uh, I'm probably going to start writing my first story very soon. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah we have... Which I encourage. <laughs> uh, we've sort of fallen out of Trek fandom as well, except for just a very small group of people that we stay in touch with. And I think, um, I mean, we, we got a little um, disappointed with the way some of the, uh, with a lot of the Kirk Spock stuff, because it was getting into whole areas of squickiness that neither of us really... And childishness. And childishness, and all of the the, um, sweetness and butterflies and unicorns and all that, it just... Yeah, that's that's the stuff that just really started to get to me, especially after watching Deadwood, which is just such a hardcore show. (laughs) It's like, it it did get, like, way too saccharine for me. Mm Mm-hmm. T. Jonesy, stop me if this is speaking out of turn, but I think one thing we would say is that even though neither one of us is really actively involved in Star Trek fandom right now, I think we'll both always be sort of Shatner fans. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So that's good, because otherwise that's going to erase this whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's the one thing we still really get a kick out of and that we that we laugh about on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. I think. Yeah. Uh, we found Boston Legal Slash out there, which horrified both of us very much. Yeah, it's, you yeah. know, it's chubby sex. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. But that's only just, the beginning uh... of what's wrong with that. <laughs> But you know what? It's I honestly, there's nothing wrong with it because man, that show. I mean, they're putting it out oh, there. Oh yeah, I oh mean, they it's sure so, are. It's so blatantly slashy, and it's such a little wink to the slash fans that it's like it's almost uncomfortable to watch sometimes. Even my husband, because we watch that show like freaks. I just think that show's brilliant. Oh, and, I love um, it. Yeah, it's just great. Um, and we watch it in because he he's he knows that I've been into KS and he understands what slashes. He'll look at me and just be like, "Oh my god." You know, he just can't believe it's there on network television. Um, well, I have to—I have not actually seen Boston Legal, although I now have several discs in my Netflix queue. I have been recruited to watch it. Oh, yeah. So. Okay, so T. Jonesy, since you've watched it, I want to ask you this question. Okay. One of the things I'm finding interesting is that, you know, Kirk and Spock, most people agree, were the first slash couple, at least the the first one to really catch on, you know, with with fans and have all of this grow up around them. And, you know, Shatner was was part of that. And now with um, Boston Legal, with those two characters, Danny Crane and um, Alan Shore, I keep seeing articles, you know, in the the newspaper and online and everything about how this is redefining male friendship and the the male relationship. And I'm thinking, (laughs) is there something about Shatner and the way he relates as an actor or whatever that he's he's been, you know, in both of these sort of core things? You know, that's interesting. I I actually wonder if KS hadn't been out there, if if the writers in that show would have even thought about doing this between him and, uh, you know, between Denny and Alan Shore. Because I really think it's it's sort of like a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I think sometimes it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, it's not well, the yeah. only show. It's there, I do think it's a trend. I, I mean, I also, I, I would say that, yes, I think there's something to that because I think, you know, I've, I've read this before and I would definitely agree from what I know of watching his 
performances, Shatner has a way of flirting with everything that's, you know, not nailed down in most of the stuff that is. Yeah. And, and I definitely think there's an element of that. I also think there's a trend in sort of, especially in comedy, you know, television programs in the last few years to have this sort of thing. Um, someone that I, I met at a con recently described it as heterosexual life partners. Mm-hmm. which is basically you have two characters on a television show. It's frequently a comedy show where they are obviously more devoted to each other than they are to their girlfriends, but there's nothing necessarily overtly sexual about it. It's more that they are life partners. Um, like Scrubs is a good ag- uh-huh. example of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm-hmm. And another show where it happens is HBO's Rome, mm-hmm. where you have this overt acknowledgement between the um, the characters of Varinus and Polo, where Absolutely. the wife of... Of Polo actually says, you know, you you love him more than you love me, and he doesn't really deny it, and it's not necessarily a sexual thing, but it's sort of become a, a popular view of male relationships to have, you know, that 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 devotion shown. I think. Well, yeah, I think they. I think in the uh, in the in the article about Shatner and Spitter when they were talking about Boston Legal and this whole thing, I think they coined the term bromance. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was just great, yeah. Well, it's yeah. interesting, too, because it's sort of like taking the, the, the buddy show, the buddy movie, to the next level. Because, you know, that, that two guys having this adventure together almost always involves fast cars and guns. Oh, sure. And, and, nothing phallic there. And, no, yeah. nothing at all. But as far as them ever, like, talking about their feelings, it's always a very uncomfortable moment, you know, if it's even there at all. And this is... This is um, taking a very different approach to it that I'm, I'm finding a lot of fun. But I think that's a very valid point that, that Killer raised about Shatner's flirting being a part of his acting technique. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he eye fucks everything, so. <laughs> I like that. That's a good phrase. Well, as long as we're talking about Shatner, um, aside from Trek and aside T. Jonesy of Boston Legal, what's your favorite thing that Shatner's done? Oh, let me think about this. Kelly, you can go first. I'm going to have to think for oh, a few man. minutes. Oh, man. You know, I'm not good with this because I'm I'm not usually one to follow actors. So what is my favorite thing that Shatter's done? We have so many. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, give me a multiple choice list. Here. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, have you guys seen uh, Barbary Coast? No, I haven't. I mean, I've heard of it. Uh-huh. It's and dreadful. It's, it's awful, it's, but it's he's dreadful. pretty funny in it. Um, have you got I don't know a battle of the network stars. Oh, that's <laughs> a good one. That that's is a good one. Really good. I like that when you can really see his competitive streak. You know, just being played right out there. That that in tiny shorts. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't like to lose. <laughs> what was that movie that you made me watch, T. Jonesy? That was on with the with the uh, something Mama. Big oh, bad oh Mama. Yeah, thank you. Oh, with yes. the nude scene. Yes. Did I make you watch that? You did. I did? Well, I'm okay, sorry. you just made the funny bits until I wanted to watch it. <laughs> okay, I, I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, T. Jonesy, I remember watching um, Secrets of a Married Man with you. Oh, that's right. Okay, I take everything back. That is my all-time favorite Shatter moment ever. Now, see, my favorite thing about that is the way that she delivers his lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think our all-time favorite, though, for, for camp value and everything else, it just never stops, is Impulse. 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 Which I've never seen. Oh, I'm my, writing this down. Oh, my God. It's a wonderfully bad movie, and in fact, we were privileged to attend um, a screening of it in a movie theater. They have a thing every year here, or in Oakland, called Shatfest, and they show that. To a, 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 um, adoring a adoring crowd. Adoring, drunken say the, crowd. The aptly named Shat Fest. Yes. <laughs> funny. I feel uh, like my horizons are being expanded all over the place But it was here. great. They let us go up on stage and do a little, you know, intro and talk about what it's like to be William Shatner's butt girls. And, you know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, and seeing that movie in a, in a room full of perhaps two or three hundred people who really like Bill and who really are there to have fun was so wonderful. Especially because this is movie theater where you can buy beer. And sit on couches. Oh, cool. And yeah. eat pizza and just, oh. Yeah, that that's one you got to see, and yeah, call me after you've seen it, and we can laugh and laugh and laugh all over again. And Bill, wears is tight it available tight. on Netflix or anything? It is. It is. Okay, it's yeah. going in my queue right Bill now. Bill wears tight, tight, tight white pants yes. too. 
Oh, it's definitely wow. going in my queue. Right <laughs> and there's some. There's an amazing butt shot. The best butt shot and in the world. Yeah. While he's wearing tight white pants, he bends over to get something out of the trunk of his car, and all you see on the screen is his ass. <laughs> this it's giant amazing. round ass, and it has. <laughs> A, a unique take on a car chase. That's right. The, and I won't spoil the that. The best, worst car chase ever. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> See, I was going to ask you guys what was the single best Shatner butt shot, and now you've answered that. So I think, well, you know what? I was thinking about this the other night. I mean, that's a great shot because it's big and close up. <laughs> but I was thinking about when he walks through the swinging doors in White Comanche. Yes. Definitely. I mean. I made an animated GIF out of that because it was so good. <laughs> it was so awesome. What about what about what was it? Is it Alexander when he's like <gasps> you wrestling can see that actual guy? Cheek? You can see butt yeah. cheek. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I'm surprised okay. that didn't make your list. Come on. Guys. Well, you know, I, I think that that kind of makes my head explode every time I think about it because it, it is so <laughs> awesome. But yeah, we did a, a show where we were talking about it, and Lena's going, "And look, you can see the shadow of the muscle." It just really <laughs> into the detail. My brother was right. We are dorks. <laughs> yeah, but we're we're happy in our dorkdom. And we're William Shatner's dorks. I That's mean, it right. doesn't get much better That's than right. that. And I just realized I, I, of course, have a favorite Shatner performance. It just isn't a movie. And I can't believe I didn't think of this right away. But it was when he did the performances for the MTV Music Award or Movie oh. Awards. Oh, when absolutely. he did the theme songs from all the movies. And it was yes. true that Seven yes. was up. Yes. Oh, yes. Envy me, you are me. <laughs> that was great. Ben Stiller directed that. That's that was right. Wonderful. Yes. Oh, I didn't even know that. that. Has to be it. And everything I do, I do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I like them um, because I have those on my iPod. The um, I want to sex you up. That's great. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and you yeah, know, it's actually say, very that's funny. It. That's it. Oh, I was, no, was going to say, say that's it. I love him singing. That's it. Yes. It's, the singing is what does it for me, not the not the live you know, butt performances. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's interesting because I'm actually a Spock fan, but, you know, Leonard Nimoy himself doesn't really do it for me. I think he takes himself way too seriously. And Shatner, as a person, just kills me. I just love the guy. I just love that he can do send-ups of himself and he can laugh at himself. And um, I wish Nimoy could do that because I probably like him a whole lot more. Well, I've, I've found Nimoy to be enjoyable at the at the cons, but he's just not as out there as Bill is. And who is? That's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who is? Oh, you know, there's a, a thing now called Shatner Vision where it's like home movies his daughter is making and posting. And, I mean, some of them are so funny. And there's one where he's in the car with his wife, Elizabeth, and the daughter's in, in the back seat, and the wife is filming him. And he's going, you've got the camera upside down. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Why are you letting her do this? You know, And she keeps going, honey, I'm fine. And the daughter's going, because she's in the front seat. I'm going, oh, my God, this is so – and Bill's talking about what an aggressive driver he is. Yeah, like we didn't know that. It's really, really – just strange. I mean, it's just him being him. Speaking That's of home great. movies, have you guys seen this um, this video project that that um, Tim Russ is doing? And Nichelle Nichols. Oh, yeah. of Gods and Men. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What what is this about? Tell me. Well, it's we, we haven't quite figured out what it's about. Well, <laughs> okay. Are you guys familiar with like the fan films, like New Voyages? Yes. Okay, yeah, yes. where they're doing their own episodes. Well, this apparently is supposed to be movie length, uh-huh. and it's got Nichelle in it, and Tim Russ is directing. He's also in it, and other people are in it. Walter's and the, in it. Walter's in it, yeah, Koenig. And the guy who played Harriman. Alan Ruck. Right. Yes. Yeah. And oh, wow. the, the premise of this is, what would it have been like if there was no Kirk? And I'm going, well, it would suck. I mean, I can answer that <laughs> question. But apparently the plot, what I understand of it is... Um, there is no Kirk, and Uhura is uh, aware that, that this is wrong. It's like she's having, you know, memory flashes or something, that this is not how the, the universe is supposed to be. And that's all I know about it. Oh, that's interesting. The, the trailer that they made for it um, is very confusing. And yes. we watched it a couple of times to see if we could figure out more of a thread. And it seems to be taking place partly in the mirror universe or a mirror universe. It's not clear that mm-hmm. it's the same one. And um, there is a lot of confusion over who's in control, and some people seem to have dual roles because they appear in two right, different costumes. Right, right, right. So it probably has something to do with crossing over into another universe and maybe time travel and maybe some other stuff. 
and a cherry on top. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's so much talk right now about the the new Trek movie going into production and, you know, who's going to be cast to play these roles. Do you guys have any feelings or ideas or wish list for that? Well, you know, a lot of people who are big fans of the original series have been very negative about it. And I have to say, first of all, I'm a big J.J. Abrams fan, and I have a lot of faith in him and his casting and just what he's going to do with it. But also, I'm just, I think I'm at the point where I'm ready to see something new, and I kind of really like the idea that they're going to back to the original series, which, of course, is the one that I care the most about. And I'm pretty open-minded about what whatever's going to come of it. Like, I feel pretty positive about it. I don't know that I, I have any too. specific opinions, but... I do, too. Who, I'm with you on that. Who would you like to see in the key roles if they're going to use name actors? Well, I wouldn't actually call him a name actor necessarily in the in the bigger scheme of, of the, the movie world, but I'm a big fan right now of Supernatural, and when I first started watching Supernatural and I saw Jensen Eccles, I remember thinking that he looked like a young Shatner, and I think he's a phenomenal actor, so I would have loved to have seen him. I don't think there's a chance in hell that you know someone like that would be cast, but I would have loved to. What about you, T. Jonesy? You know, I, I know that, weren't they talking about Matt Damon or something? Yeah, that, that's the name that's mentioned very often for Kirk. And I've also heard Adrian Brody for Spock and Gary Sinise oh, for McCoy. Oh, please, God, no. <laughs> uh, the, the Adrian Brody thing, I would, I would kill myself. Um, uh, <laughs> Gary Sinise is McCoy. I actually think that's great. Gary Sinise is just such a good actor. I well, yeah, I, I, I definitely would like to see Gary in anything. I don't care what. Well, and going back like 10 years when people would discuss online, well, if they were to recast, who would you want? I remember Gary Sinise's name coming up almost unanimously for McCoy. Yeah, I that's think it. You know, he's great. such a good actor. He so is. I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. So I think it just is a question of whether they're actually going to try to do an Academy story because if they are, all the actors are far too old for it. So absolutely, who knows right. what they're eventually going to do with the story? Um, well, the the I latest. Think, I mean, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say the latest I heard is that it's not an Academy story; oh, really? that it's an early adventure, like the first adventure on the Enterprise, and that the script has been green lighted. Really, interesting. Or green lit. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting, but like I I would love to see an Academy story, and um and after watching Battlestar right now, it's like I would love to see them go with real adult sci-fi, you know, where they're not pandering mm-hmm. to a twelve or thirteen year old audience, mm-hmm. where you really get into some adult themes. Um, I'm not just talking sex, but just to really be attacking some really, really good themes and just not worrying about the 12-year-olds. Well, and think about original Trek too. How often that dealt with some very serious issues. And some very adult themes on, you know, identity and and the, the the perils of war and what it takes when you're making these tough decisions and obsession and and all these things. That you know, that wasn't your Saturday morning fun fair. Right. No, I do hope that it that it takes a. a brighter outlook though like one of the problems i have with battlestar galactica as excellent as a a show as it is is how it's too much like reality for me Mm. like i i find it depressing to watch because it's so closely related to the news you know and 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 i would say the same with like uh star trek nemesis and and the later next gen films that they just feel very dark to me Mm -hmm. and i really would hope that they would keep it a little lighter and a little bit more true to the well the other thing is not just metaphorically dark they are dark i mean i'm going okay don't they use lights anymore in the future because so much of the sci-fi you now that's set in the future is so goddamn dark it's like a chain smoker in a steam bath (laughs) (laughs) um my my feeling is i'm hoping my wish would be that they would not cast name actors That, that would be yeah i would love that but i think um like you i i was thinking about this today that i maybe am am ready for there to be some more in the original series. And I'm thinking it's good that, that they have floated this idea as early as they did and, and had people, you know, fans, of course, get in an uproar, say, I'm for it, I'm against it, whatever. But in a way, it got everybody used to the idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the thing is, it's uh, let, let's get real. You know, I mean, some of the actors are no longer with us. And, you know, Shannon Nimoy... No offense, but they're not exactly spring chickens anymore. And you know, I mean, what are honestly, you I, don't, I don't, I don't want they're to watch old. Kirk and Spock. I don't even okay. know her. They're, they're of a certain age. Is that better? They're old 
guys. And, <laughs> and, and I, don't, guys. <laughs> I don't want to watch Kirk and Spock at the nursing home. I mean, if you want to talk about depressing, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, I mean, that that's depressing. And I honestly feel like in the last two to three movies in which Shatner played Kirk, it became less and less Kirkish and more and more Shatnerish. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. my problem with it. It's not that it's. I, I would love to see them both again, but there's so much connection between the characters that they played and the actors who played them at this point that I don't think they'll ever be able to go back to playing them in all seriousness. Yes. You know, without that awareness of who they are, mm-hmm. the actors laid over the top of the characters. Yeah. 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 Which I think is. I mean, really, that's the reason that I don't seek out you know other performances by actors who play characters that I really love because it, it's just hard for me to separate mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I do just the opposite. I mean, when I get turned on to a character on a show, and especially I mean an actor in a certain role, I, I look for everything that they've ever been in and just completely inhale their body of work. I, I like watching that. So, so you're addicted to IMDb? Oh my God, of course I'm. <laughs> she invented IMDb. <laughs> yeah, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Um, it's been so great talking to both of you. I have no idea if we actually stayed on topic. Of oh, this There's no such thing as on topic on this show. We've gotten so so off, but this was wonderful. And and this well, thank was you fun. so much. Thank you both so much. Thank you guys. Mm-hmm.